Arlo Guthrie, uh, when a soldier makes it home, that is what we're talking about. Uh, no victory parades anymore. We are dealing with soldiers who come back with PTSD, high percentage of PTSD. Eric Newhouse with us on the radio today on Gesundheit with Jacobus. I'm your host, Jacobus Holloway. Chuck Martel, making sure that everything is running smoothly, that I stay in shape, that uh, the sweat is wiped off my forehead every break and so that is what we do right here now we do have a caller eric who would like to weigh in with you caller thanks for joining us your name please how can we help you oh hi my name is bill hello bill i just want to recommend to the folks out there if they want to read a book about the trials and tribulations of our soldiers read uh, lone survivor by marcus luttrell lone survivor. Uh, it'll give you a real insight into political correctness hmm. you know that book eric Oh, sorry. Oh, it's fantastic. It's, it's a book you'll never forget once you read it. So that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. Uh, Eric, we uh, sadly hadn't turned your volume on. Have you heard of that book before? Yeah, there, uh, there are a number of really good books out there. Uh, I'm only one of them, uh, although I'm awfully glad to be one of them. Yeah, that's true, and I uh, like, I recommend people go to Eric's website, uh, ericnewhouse.com, and learn about it. We are, we're talking about the different uh, treatment options, and as Eric uh, finished up the last half hour, we talked about um, alpha stim and neurofeedback. Uh, also, we talked, uh, we touched on mind-body bridging, uh, concentrating on the senses to allow sleep. Uh, he mentioned eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is EMDR, uh, a treatment that we have talked about on this program before many years ago with Anne McLean. Uh, Anne McLean is uh, Dr. Anne McLean uh, in Bozeman who can help you with EMDR. And uh, we have another caller who would like to weigh in with us. Uh, caller, good morning. Your name, please. How can we help you? You're on the air with Eric Newhouse. Uh, this is Vernon. Hi, Vernon. Hey. Um, you have some regular callers uh, who haven't called in this morning, uh, who are connected with the brain injury recovery groups here in the Gallatin Valley. Uh, I think Tammy Hall is one of the people that's active in that group. Uh-huh. And um, I would just like to uh, remind everybody that, you know, soldiers are not the only ones who get traumatic brain injuries. There are people who fall on the ice and people who have car wrecks uh, whose brain gets splashed. Uh-huh. Um, and they have uh, profound um, consequences to those. And there's a very active and helpful uh, network of people in our community, and I'm I'm sorry I don't personally have any information about it, but uh, a little bit of digging. Um, I, I just uh, encourage anybody who has uh, issues with this to to get in touch with their local recovery group because they do address uh, the various uh, things that people go through. Uh, and uh, as from what I can tell, they're very effective in our community. And um, not only uh, traumatic brain injury, but also uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, it's not that's not merely a uh, military phenomenon. Everyone who's been traumatized, uh, uh, raped, held up, beaten, uh, uh, neglect, uh, um, child abuse. Yeah, uh, I'm not aware of a 10%. support network for that in our community, but I am aware of our brain brain recovery okay. uh, uh, group. Hmm. Well, Good wonderful folks to have. Uh, yes. It is a, a serious problem, and you're absolutely right. It's, it's not just military. Both of these uh, phenomena can uh, can happen in the civilian population as well. Well, and I think, Vernon, uh, the issue that we live in a rural state where, relatively speaking, percentage-wise, quite a few young men and women are active 
in active duty or have been have been involved in war percentage wise probably more than you find in some of the bigger cities. We uh, actually, uh, Jacobus, yes. yeah, Montana has the second highest rate of veterans per capita uh-huh. of any state in the country. Uh, we're surpassed only by Alaska. Is that I right? believe that. Wow, and, mm-hmm. and well, that's uh, that's quite a statistic here. I, I believe, therefore, and, and I'm grateful also, Vernon, what you are saying, that there is indeed a network available locally. I am aware that there is a network, um, and more sm- more cities over here in, in Montana have active participants in these programs, and that is the great thing that we do have in the state, that people are very proactive uh, when it comes to uh, helping others. Uh, as sparsely populated as we are and as wide apart as we are, uh, there is great support for each other. Good show, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you so much for your input. I do want to mention that we, we uh, uh, to sidestep just a little bit from the topic, uh, if we can do that, just that. You are a Pulitzer Prize winner. And for your great work on, on alcoholism uh, that you have done, the book Alcohol, Cradle to Grave, there is a new book that you're writing, and that is called Nearly Knighted. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, an interesting book because it uh, just came out about two weeks ago, and it's totally electronic. Uh, you get it on something called smashwords.com, and it's the story of what, ha- what happened to me after the Pulitzer Prize. It talks about uh, how I learned, to my incredible surprise, uh, that I was the second Montanan uh, in the state's history to have won the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, and what it meant to, to me and to my life for the next oh, 18 months after uh, I won the prize. Uh, it, it looks at uh, all the hoopla, all the traveling, uh, all the honors, all the uh, speeches, but it also looks at uh, at a time in my life when I was trying to do some really, really serious reporting about uh, mental illness in the Montana correctional system and how the correction system handled mental illness uh, and I was being pulled away to go speak here and go speak there. And uh, and my heart was uh, in Deer Lodge because I really wanted to be dealing with the uh, you know, with the inmates there and finding them the help that they needed. Yeah. So it's uh, it's uh, it's one it's it's it, one about mixed uh, mixed feelings, mixed emotions. Enormously mixed emotions uh, and very confusing at times. Uh, but it. Uh, it's a real-life look at what happens to somebody uh, who all of a sudden hits the brass ring and doesn't know quite how to cope with it. Huh. The, uh, the book opens uh, with uh, uh, a description of how I came to win the Pulitzer Prize, uh, and it actually uh, came about because after I did the series on alcoholism, uh, I said to my editor, uh, what do we do now? And he looked kind of vague and said, well, Maybe we ought to enter some prizes. Uh, we might win some. <laughs> and I thought to myself, he sounded, you know, not terribly convinced. So I said, well, you know, I'll just take that on myself. So I did. I entered uh, some prizes, but I also figured I'd never worked so hard in my life. I never wanted to again. And why didn't I shoot for the Pulitzer, which is the big award in journalism? Yeah. So since I didn't want people to laugh at me when I failed, uh, I did all that at home. Uh, I entered uh, the, the. I submitted the entry from home. I wrote a personal check for fifty bucks, uh, the entry fee, and just sent it in with a letter and all the stuff, uh, and then put it out of my mind. 
and on the, I guess, the first Tuesday in April of uh, 2000. I'd just come out of an interview uh, with about five social workers uh, talking about um, methamphetamines and what they were doing to uh, the dissolution of the family and the need for more foster homes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was trying to sit and make some sense out of that. Uh, when the phone rang, I picked it up and somebody said, this is so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so from CBS Radio News in New York City, and we'd like your reaction. Well, I thought about it, and I said, sure, reaction to what? And uh, the guy said, well, the Pulitzer Prize, you are aware that you won a Pulitzer Prize, aren't you? Well, we've got some jokers in this newsroom, and I looked around <laughs> to see who was pulling my leg, and I couldn't find anybody who uh, looked as though he was uh, even giggling at me, so I said to this voice on the telephone, yeah, sure, I'll call you boys back in the morning hung up on him, uh, and then uh, walked around the newsroom to see uh, who the culprit was, couldn't find anybody, sat down at my uh, computer, plugged into the uh, main national A-wire, and saw bullet, Pulitzer, bullet, Pulitzer, bullet, Pulitzer, Newhouse, <laughs> and just froze. You know that moment when it's like you're suspended nice, yeah. and you can't breathe, you can't think, you can't move, you can't do anything. Yeah. And as I was sitting there in total shock, the phone rang again, uh, and uh, I picked it up automatically. A voice said, this is so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so from CBS Radio News in New York City. We really need to talk to you. And I said, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then told him something that I had no recollection of uh, and uh, went down the hall to begin to tell the people uh, uh, in the Tribune that we'd won the Pulitzer Prize. It was only the second Pulitzer in Montana's history. Is that the, right? uh, yeah, the uh, little weekly newspaper uh, up in uh, uh, Big Fork, Montana, won the Pulitzer in 1964 for covering uh, some of the flooding that uh, in western Montana. And there's been no other uh, since then until uh, we won it in 2000. Wow. Wow. That is uh, that is quite something. Now, Eric, when you win a Pulitzer, I mean, how many times can people say that? Um, <laughs> is it based on based on the fact that you've written this book, that you wrote the new book, uh, the totally of a nearly knighted, nearly knighted, mm-hmm. and then we have the, the 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 book on faces of combat, and 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 besides that, all your investigative work and 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 crusading work as a journalist for the Great Falls Tribune, is it just another milestone for you, or is it was it actually that you feel you stepped up? A platform, and you never, you you just don't look back. You move on, uh, starting at a new at a new height. Uh, how does uh, which of the two is it? It's life changing. It's life changing, Um, huh? It's life changing. One of uh, I remember being in the newsroom, and uh, by this time uh, the calls were flooding in. I was talking to the New York Times. Uh, we had the Boston Globe and the Los Angeles Times on hold waiting to talk to me. Um, and since then, it's like the gold star of approval that they put on your forehead. Um, it is like being knighted. Uh, and all of a sudden, you've got an audience, you've got a forum, you've got the gold star of approval, uh, and people seek you out uh, to 
do things, to talk about things, uh, to work on things. Um, you have a ready audience. Uh, you can walk into virtually any room uh, and uh, and people listen to you with respect. It it literally changes your life. Hmm. But and it, you know the yeah, but the I, funny I thing, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. I want to hear uh, this. The funny thing was uh, that after this day, this first day, uh, and I uh, I went home just exhausted. Um, called my parents, called my kids, um, and then uh, they had uh, C-SPAN had asked whether they could interview me at seven o'clock Eastern time live, uh, which would be five o'clock Montana time. Yes, and I'd said sure. So at about four o'clock, the alarm clock went off, and I woke up, and I sat in that uh, in that pre-dawn stillness uh, and darkness, and began thinking to myself, "Is this really a dream? That mm-hmm. I just had the damnedest dream of my life?" Uh, and the more I thought about it, the more I wasn't sure. Uh, and so, as five o'clock came, I began to wonder whether the phone would ring, uh, and I said. Uh, all of a sudden it did, and there was the uh, voice from C-SPAN, and I said, you know, I was wondering if this was just a dream. The voice on the other end said, oh, no, Mr. Newhouse, you're on the front page of the New York Times this morning. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, is, uh, that is indeed life-changing, isn't it? But, yeah, it really is. But, you know, then, yeah, I'll, then I'll listen to you, Eric, and, and you, you're talking uh, after we had our interview about the... Uh, the actual book, uh, Alcohol, Cradle to Grave, your Pulitzer Prize-winning book. And I talk to you years later, and you tell me about Bill Broderson, the man who is the primary uh, character, not just character, but he's a real-life person in Great Falls, how you still meet with him. And and that that shows me, and and as you're talking about the stories in this book, how you are connecting with the people that you are writing about in in this book, Faces of Combat, you just love people. You so that part hasn't changed about you. You're still yeah. the the guy next yeah. door, and and here you are at the top of the world in your field and get all the respect that is due to you. But at the same time, you still just want to connect with everybody who you are writing about because their struggles continue. Bill Broderson uh, became the poster child for alcoholism. Very bright, very witty, uh, very flawed human being, but no malice in him. And he became a friend. Uh, and even after I quit writing about him, uh, I'd take him to doctor's appointments uh, and help him understand what was happening to him. I took him to his last doctor's appointment, uh, and he had open sores on his leg. The doctor looked at him and said, well, we've got a choice. Uh, we can do some aggressive treatment uh, and try and... Uh, and uh, correct those, or we can uh, just give you some pain medication uh, and let nature take its course. Are you ready to die? And he said, you know, there are some friends I'll miss, but uh, yeah, I'm not any good to anyone here. I'm just taking up space, uh, wasting resources. I'm ready to go. Hmm. So he and I uh, went to the hospital, uh, and then I took him over to uh, uh, to the hospice place, uh, and um, came to visit the next couple of days. On the third day, uh, I went at noon, and he was sleeping. Uh, and I thought, gee, I said something to him, and he didn't wake up. And I thought, well, he's getting a good sleep. Came back at about 5 o'clock, and uh, his, his 
snoring was a little raspier, but he was still there. And I uh, said to him, Bill, are you okay? And he just kept on sleeping. I didn't realize that he was in a coma. He was dying. Is that right? Uh, and so about uh, two hours later, I got a call from hospice. Um, I was the first call. Uh, you know, they, I, I was the person who was responsible. And so they called me and said, uh, Mr. Brodus passed away uh, about 10 minutes ago. Huh. Uh, and that was, uh, the book has been, the book Alcohol Cradle to Grave is out as a hardback, but it's also out as a paperback. And the paperback uh, looks at Broderson and what the last years of his life were like, uh, and also closes the chapter uh, with his death. How old was Sir Bill? Bill was, I think, 54. Oh. Looked to be about 70. So he never... He never was able to uh, to beat the alcoholism. No, he died an alcoholic. In fact, he uh, uh, had a twelve pack of beer that uh, he carried into the hospice uh, and managed to drink two cans of it before uh, before he died. And I took the uh, remaining ten cans and took them down to uh, some of the some of his friends and said, "Well, drink this in memory of Bill." Huh. You're an amazing man, Eric. That is uh, it's quite a story, my goodness. And this was how long yeah. ago now? How many years? A couple of years ago? Yeah, this was uh, in 2000 and, uh, 2006. 2006. Yeah. Oh, wow. No, I've been, I learned a lot from Bill, and I owe him a lot. Yeah, so yeah, that was that was the best that I could do was to be a friend and be there when he needed me and uh, and help him in every way that I could. Mm-hmm. Try not to enable him. Uh, I told him early on uh, that I would buy him lunch and buy him dinner anytime he wanted it. I'd buy him coffee, but I'd never buy him an alcoholic beverage because I didn't want to be a party to his suicide. Right. And he uh, understood that. Uh, never got a little angry sometimes because he wanted a drink and I wouldn't give it to him, but I bought him orange juice and coffee and lunch and uh, and just was there for him every time I could. Mm. But you've also, when you were talking earlier about uh, some of the symptoms of PTSD, uh, the anger issue when you talked about Dave and Danielle Belcher, yeah. uh, you also mentioned uh, that you were sitting down with Danielle and, and just say, what do you want to do? You want to you wanna be angry or... Would you rather, you know, try to get over this? And that that shows to me that you're not just an investigative reporter, but you are really compassionate with the people you're writing about because they teach you something and they they make you aware of things. And it, it uh, you know, it's not just brain for you. There's a lot of heart there too. Oh yeah, there's a huge amount of heart. Um, not only a reporter, but I'm a human being as well. And sometimes the two of those uh, conflict. And I need to, uh, need, I've learned over the years that uh, when my heart tells me that uh, I need to do something different, I have to listen to that. And in fact, that, uh, that saved me the Pulitzer Prize. I was faced with a situation where uh, the ethical standards of journalism suggested I do one thing, um, sheer compassion uh, suggested I do another. I did the latter uh, and uh, told my editors later what I had done, but the alcoholics that I was talking with came back later and said, you know, if you had uh, not done what you had done, none of us would ever have spoken to you again. And this was uh, about five months into 
made the other choice, uh, I never would have been able to finish that series of stories, and I never would have uh, gotten the Pulitzer Prize either. It just was a crucial moment, uh, and it taught me that uh, in an ethical situation, you have to listen to your heart, and you have to do what's right. Yeah, and then if the Pulitzer Prize comes, that will be great, but the bottom line is you have to live with yourself the rest of your life. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I never thought about a prize until after the series was done, uh, and I looked at it and said, wow, that's pretty amazing stuff, uh, and thought, well, I'll shoot for it, uh, and... It was a huge surprise uh, to actually hit that brass ring. Hmm. Well, congratulations. I, I know that all the listeners who are listening today uh, congratulate you on your success and are grateful that you have written the books that you have written. And uh, my goodness, I, uh, is there anything else? Uh, I mean, for you, it, it just doesn't stop because it's in you so much. I mean, 40 years of journalism is uh, a phenomenal history. And uh, what what I like about it also is that you write stories that are all close to home. And, and because they're so close to home, anybody can recognize themselves in your story or understand what's going on. You know, I, I look at some of the other issues that we can discuss today that we should have been discussing, but nothing that you said was wasted on my ears and I know that many people are listening to this and say my goodness you know they're scratching their heads and say this is something I I uh, you know even if nothing else pray about it if you if you believe in prayer just go ahead and pray about it and 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 learn all right Eric all the best to you sorry we'll run out of time but we'll do it again soon that sounds like a deal Jacobus thank you for the opportunity I hope we've uh, helped some kids today Yes, I hope so too. Folks, we'll be back next week Sunday. Talk to you then.